there's really no part of a transit operation that isn't touched by changing the fuel source to electricity or hydrogen, whatever it may be. When it comes to planning and scheduling specifically, the most important thing is not to disrupt the service that's provided. People expect a seamless experience when they're using transit. I've said it before on this podcast that, you know, you can hear the bus that goes outside my window. But up here around Vancouver, in a few years, I'm not going to hear that bus anymore because it's going to be electric. It's going to be silent. Welcome to Inside Trapeze. I'm Tris Hussey, and I'm here with Tyler Dvorak, who's the product director for mobility planning and scheduling. And we're going to talk about EVs, electric vehicles, low and no emission vehicles, and how it affects planning and scheduling. Hey, Tyler, how's it going? Chris, doing well. Great to be here. Thank you. I think every day I'm reading something more about EVs and the grants that are coming out. It seems in the past two weeks, I think maybe close to a billion dollars across the United States has been doled out to various agencies to buy EVs. And we're moving that direction. Now, where you live in King County, they're aiming for 2035 to be zero emission up here around Vancouver. TransLink is aiming for 2040. But what does this mean for transit agencies? What's this transition and meaning for planning and scheduling and everything? Tris, it's a, it's a huge change. We're talking about a change to one of the fundamental operating assumptions of a transit operation. It's fuel. It's really hard to think of an equivalent. Um, that said, it's very exciting. It's a very exciting time as the transition to zero emission buses will have extremely positive effects on the communities that transit serves. Uh, operationally, this changes capital requirements in terms of things like buses, of course, but also the chargers to support them and the drivers to operate both of those things in some cases. Uh, but those impacts also have a huge impact uh, on facilities, training, safety, there's really no part of a transit operation that isn't touched by uh, changing the fuel source to electricity or hydrogen, whatever it may be. Um, but when it comes to planning and scheduling specifically, the most important thing is not to disrupt the service that's provided. People expect a seamless experience when they're using transit. Um, EVs specifically have unique operational, operational constraints um, that is their range, of course. That is how far and how long they can travel before depleting their fuel source. Um, that will almost certainly require additional costs, making it more imperative than ever uh, to deploy an efficient vehicle and driver schedules to these different providers. Like the more we, we wrap our heads around this, it just it seems like the calculus is getting so complex because while they're we look at it like, okay, now we have all of one type and then and eventually we're going to have all of another type. But right now we have these mixed types and it seems like it's making planning that much more complex because we don't even know, like you said, how things always work in the real world. We don't have a lot of data and things are always changing. How, do, how are people going to start approaching this? Yeah, there's a multitude of options that planners can utilize to get at this question. And as you mentioned, getting to the answer of something with this many unknowns that far in the future um, is not likely. So essentially, it comes down to how much time and energy you want to spend to get closer to the real world answer. 
And you can start to get more complex calculations as you build in more assumptions to get closer to the real number. But really, the only way to know for sure or have a, a, the most confidence in what the requirements are is to go through a full scheduling process. And that implies creating vehicle and driver solutions uh, for EVs, just like you would with conventional vehicles, because ultimately um, it is a lot of individual uh, business rules and requirements that are very localized uh, that determine a lot of what those solutions uh, end up being. And they can have outsized effects. And again, the only way to really feel confident in what it will be in the real world is to go through a real world process that you actually normally would with conventional vehicles. That's obviously asking a lot at the current moment, but it is the best way to have uh, the most accurate answer. Right. But a lot of it in between is is modeling. We, we've talked about data modeling and how you can model out this route versus that route and how that'll affect different people. And so that's what people are going to have to do is start playing around with models, right? That's right. And again, it depends on the complexity of those models. But as we know, it's not going to be a flip of the switch when rolling zero emission buses out. Uh, there will be a years-long transitionary state. Um, the mix of bus fuel types is actually more complex even than all of uh, EV or hydrogen or any zero emission bus. So mixed fleet is actually more complex. Um, so understanding that impact on operational requirements is just as important really as the end state, given, as we mentioned, it's going to be a decades long transition. Um, so this mixed fleet state uh, is in many ways just as important and can even be more impactful in certain ways, uh, at least from a optimization perspective, more complex than um, a fleet that is made up entirely of zero emission buses. So agencies have time, and I know a lot of agencies are buying a few now, a few later. So they have a, they have some lead time in this, but not a lot, right? Time goes by fast. I think we can all attest to that. But it is correct that the lead time on um, you know delivery of EV, you know delivery time, uh, you know from order time uh, is is stretched right now. Uh, supply chain issues are obviously hitting EV bus manufacturers just like they are everyone else. Um, you know, the more you read about EVs, they are super exciting, right? We're all excited for a future of cleaner air, um, but there are very real world constraints on anything from basic raw materials to capacity at manufacturing facilities um, that are going to, like we said, make this much more of a transition that is that is a has an elongated timeline um, that does give us more time though. Like you mentioned, maybe benefit of that in some ways is to have more time to plan out the impacts of the transition as well. There is a silver lining in that regard. You talked a little bit about some of the, the factors that are going to go into these, what if analyses, you know, temperature, topography, you know, just what else are these, what ifs that are going to need to be considered when you're doing planning and scheduling? Yeah, you know, one of the ones that I'm more interested in um, that doesn't get as much attention, I think, is the area of environmental justice to keep in mind around what ifs. Um, so that would be, you know, where to deploy EVs. What are the places to deploy these vehicles? Um, and you mentioned in your open about 
the noise that buses make. Um, while I think some of us, you know, might have a certain affinity for air brakes, I don't know even know if that. I don't think that goes away with EVs. Maybe it does, but I don't think most of us do have an affinity for a low rumbling diesel engine or the air pollution that can come along with it. And oftentimes um, that does impact where people decide to live. People like to live close to transit um, sometimes, but some people might avoid it because of those noise or air pollution uh, impacts. But if I'm a person in a disadvantaged community, I'm going to be more reliant on transit and therefore uh, potentially more exposed to that air and noise pollution. Um, and those have a big impact, uh, or much higher impact at least, on those communities uh, from a health, achievement, even property value perspective. There's justice impacts of just having buses that don't pollute, uh, both, again, in air and noise, actually. And so while these likely can be classified as second-order effects of zero-emission buses, um, they're very real to these folks in these communities and a big part of enabling transit to deliver on its mission to create more equitable and sustainable communities is to ensure that we can prioritize maybe these communities receiving the benefits of zero emission buses by ensuring that um, we are you know putting those buses on the routes that um, that serve those areas. Yeah, I had never really thought of that. Yeah, that is a really great way to prioritize. Now, coming back to something you were talking about, and we, and I, Teresa Domingo wrote about this recently that we're going to be in this transition for like 15 years and we're going to have mixed fleets. And even after the 15 years, I've read a lot of agencies are going to keep a mixed fleet, maybe hydrogen plus battery or whatever, hybrid diesel, something. So you said it was going to be really hard to manage. Can we really put a, how hard is it going to be to manage these mixed fleets? Yeah, the, the transitory state is harder from an operate, ups, optimization perspective, right? Computationally, because they're just more variables. Um, that's not the worst thing. That's why we have computers, right? If it's harder for the computer, it's not it's supposed to be really harder for me, the person, right? So pop, pipe in a few more variables and still get this solution that I need. So when it comes to harder to manage, um, I'm really speaking probably from a more optimization perspective, but from an overall operational state, you know, I think there's some benefits of the long transition. It's it's a little easier as providers, uh, for providers as they can fail small, right? Learn from those mistakes uh, before deploying at a much larger scale and have those mistakes be at a larger scale. So, um, you know, more scale will present new opportunities to learn, uh, but the risk should be more manageable as, um, you know, we, we all are learning from each other and, ex and different uh, ways of running these vehicles and some experimentation. Um, there'll be negative stories about um, EVs. There already are. Um, but, you know, those are, we have to think of those as way, you know, um, opportunities to learn, right? And, and ways to make sure that um, you know, we are rolling these out um, in an effective way. And in that, in that way, a ramp up in a transitory state, um, I think will, will ultimately prove to be a benefit um, as long as we're deliberate and we do learn indeed from those mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. And we're seeing some of those, I think, in the news recently was an EV bus fire in Connecticut 
no one was injured, if I remember correctly, So, which is great. But now as this ratio is going closer and closer to 100%, zero emission, whatever the makeup is, everything's going to have to adapt. Do you think planning and scheduling are going to be, is it going to be a more frequent activity or are people going to still kind of like, okay, now I've got the knack and we can go back to this a couple times a year, a few times a year planning exercise? Right. Well, I can see a future where depending on the stability and resiliency of the fuel source um, in different weather conditions, service changes that are more in line actually with the seasons. If that thus far, it certainly is a huge outsized impact, again, depending on your locality, how much it varies and what type uh, of climate you've got. If it's very hot or very cold, that will impact um, or both, right? It, can, it will impact the resiliency of the fuel source. And so that will have a huge impact, therefore, on how many vehicles you need um, to deliver the service. The less uh, stable and the higher the depletion is, the more vehicles or at least chargers you'll need, potentially more drivers, like it will have impacts that are uh, enough operationally to justify um, having service changes in line with that. Um, so with that current state, it certainly will require schedules that are more flexible and likely resilient. And now those things also cost Um Anytime you want something more flexible or more resilient, it's going to cost extra. And so um, that is, again, why having optimized solutions for vehicle and drivers in terms of their schedules, um, yeah, certainly becomes more and more important. Um, And in terms of the frequency, right, there are some limitations around how frequent service can be changed or even should be changed. Um, but I, I think, you know, that limitation on going back to limitation on range and the effects of different weather on the fuel source, um, will be a big decision point in terms of what people decide to go with in terms of what their zero emission bus fuel choice is, or the timeline in which they try to adopt those, uh, those fuel sources. Yeah. Now, all along the way, we've been talking about optimization and software. I know you're working on the next generation of MPS in the product suite with EVs in mind. So what what can agencies expect for tools at their disposal to pull this off? Absolutely. So first and foremost, we're making sure that our scheduling solutions will meet the operational requirements of EVs. Um, we're learning a ton from our colleagues our trapeze colleagues in Scandinavia, uh, where EVs are, are are already deployed at scale. Um, and we're also incorporating some tech from our other global trapeze partners as well. And so the, the goal is really twofold um, with the next-gen solution, that we are meeting the future needs of the market. EVs obviously fall within that category, uh, but also that it's uh, relatively easy and even, dare I say, fun uh, to do this work, to create these solutions, you know, scheduling is a puzzle at the end of the day that can be fun to put together. Um, so that's from the scheduling end and from a planning end, um, you know, working on ways to measure those environmental justice impacts uh, that I mentioned earlier uh, and generate a more complete picture of the impact of this new uh, EV technology and zero, zero emission bus technology we'll have in our communities is is something that's also 
uh, very cool um, and, and very impactful. So I, I've en uh, enjoyed kind of looking into what we can do there. That's probably a little bit further off. We want to solve the operational problem first um, while not forgetting about, um, you know, some, some more, um, you know, community-based uh, features in our software as well that can, again, uh, help transit deliver on its mission and Trapeze's mission as well. Yeah. And I want to come back to your point about software. You've said this, I think, almost every time we've talked about software is making software that is yeah, fun to use, easy to use, intuitive. It seems to be that's one of your touchstones when you're looking at creating MPS and those solutions. No, I mean, it, it certainly is. Um, you know, I'm a longtime user of our software. And so it is not an easy problem to solve. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of data dependencies. Um, and like I said, it's a complex puzzle that it takes a certain type of person to enjoy solving. Um, that said, right, ensuring that you've got the right tools to view the data in a way that allows decision-making, uh, quick decision-making, but quality decision-making as well, um, and feeling confident about the solution you're producing um, is, is a big passion of mine. And, and I'm really excited to see uh, where, we're, where we're headed, what we've designed, what we've developed already in this space, um, and how much more uh, we can do to really enable our users to uh, do their jobs better and, and enjoy them more. Yeah. Okay. Tyler, give you the last word. What would you say for agencies who are planning their EV zero emission bus, zero emission strategies? What's your the last word? What's your advice to them? My advice is to understand your governing structure, right? What your mandates are from a, a policy perspective. Um, that's going to determine a lot of your next steps, how fast um, you're being pushed to make this transition, um, I think ultimately will determine a lot of the strategic steps uh, to take in terms of evaluating what's out there, um, should definitely do that no matter what. Um, like I said, there's a lot of unknown in this space still, right, in terms of emerging technology. And so keeping up to date with the latest is more imperative than ever. So that's where getting into looking at the alternatives to EVs is also worth your time. Um, who knows? We might be in a world and eventually where hydrogen is an industrial fuel source, uh, similar to diesel in some ways, and electricity, you know, traditional EVs, batteries are a fuel source more uh, like unleaded gasoline that's got more, you know, um, localized, a little less, uh, less intensive usage. So um, making sure you know and keep up on what the options are um, is important, but at the same time, eventually having to make a choice, right? And that's what a lot of these timelines will kind of force. And that's that's okay. Um, do the research first, feel confident about your choice, and then really appreciate the impacts it will have on all parts of the organization. Um, while that can be a little terrifying, but feel confident that these are solvable problems. There are tools that will help you solve them and Trapeze has got your back. Cool, all right, Tyler. Thank you very much. It's been great talking about EVs, zero emission transitions, and planning and scheduling. Thank you, Chris. Talk to you next time. Absolutely. Absolutely.